good morning, everyone. It is great to have you here this morning, and uh, welcome to week two of our series called The Journey. And I'll tell you, beautiful day out there, isn't it? What a great, great week we've had, though, and so excited. Not only are we at our 840-1010, today we launch our 1140 service. So pray with us. Uh, as we help people find their way back to God. The other thing I told you to do is I said this could be kind of our field that we could play around with, bring your electronic devices, and uh, we can tweet and use uh, social media. As we go through this series, I really believe that God is going to speak to you in a very direct and personal way. And I believe it's going to be powerfully transformative to your life. We're going to get into one of those aspects this morning, but uh, we encourage you, if you've got your electronic devices, go to uversion.com, look up live events, look for Mississauga, you're going to find Portico. And uh, we're in the journey, and it's going to be about Adam and Eve. Those that love the old school tactile, in your bulletin, you're going to find some notes. Our ushers are going to help us out right now. If you're in the room this morning and you need to borrow a Bible, if you could help our ushers, raise your hand real, real, real high. They're making their way down. They're going to hand these out. You can leave them on the seats when we're finished today. And uh, that's just going to make a big difference for us. While you're getting your Bible, I want to jump right in because I want to read a little bit of a longer text for us today to set the groundwork. So our ushers will serve you. But everybody else, if you could turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now we're going to look at what I believe is the pivotal turning point in human history. This is the part where the longing of the human heart, the longing of the human spirit continually calls out and goes, Who am I? Why am I here? What is my life all about? Where is my future headed? And is there purpose or meaning in my life? We all have that. Some of us have found some answers, and we've settled that. Some have come into a a real, genuine, personal relationship with God. It's vibrant, dynamic, and we're really fulfilled. But many people still struggle with those core questions. I want to take you back into God's record of history to see where the ancestry of humanity comes from and some of the challenges that we face. So Genesis chapter 3 We're going to have a look at where everything went wrong and what God did to make everything right. Are you ready to go? Hey, why don't we do something different? We haven't done this for a while. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning while we read? And uh, if you don't have a Bible, maybe your neighbor will share with you. I'm going to read Genesis 3. Would you follow along as I read? Here's what it says. And now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, Well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, This man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and to eat and then to live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, that's an angel, with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this story. And I think if we would confess to you, there are moments that we go, is it fiction or is it fact? And how does it play into our life today? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts, remove the dullness of our minds, that we could see and hear and understand the truth of your word, that we might live the life you've called us to, but also to understand the part of our past which is actually served into how we live our lives today. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as you're seated, I want you to take your notes out. There's so much we can learn from this story. But when you look at sort of the the centerpiece of it all, here you have God in his creation. And he's created everything. We know the story of creation in the seven days. And at the end of each day of creation, God would look at his creation. He goes, it is good. And then when he creates man and woman, he goes, it is very good. God was so thrilled because humanity was the crown jewel of all creation. And then Genesis chapter 3 comes into play, and we have this cataclysmic event that destroys the very beauty of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And we almost look back with this horrific anticipation of how could Adam and Eve ever move in that direction? What would cause them to do that? And so disobedience tarnishes the crown which God had made. And ever since then, humanity has longed to know why is there this inner ache or this inner pain or this inner quest to understand what we had and what we lost, why we're here and where we're headed. Well, part of that is what we'll unpack today, and we're going to look more as we go into the future here. There's so much, again, to learn from the story. Take your notes. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. Adam and Eve became not only our ancestry, but what they really did for us is they revealed our disobedience. And disobedience carries significant consequences. Because in God's creation, when everything was perfect and God had already pronounced that it is good, very, very good, then Adam and Eve made a willful choice. And here's what we find, that free will, free choice carries consequences. So disobedience is really a choice. It's an expression of free will, always is. Every time we make a decision, it's an expression of your free will, my free will. And if we choose against the parameters which are meant to safeguard us, if we choose to disobey parameters, then we know, we all know, intuitively know, and some of us experientially, that disobedience carries huge consequences for us. So 
In this moment, one of the ways that I wrote it down for myself was this. Disobedience is a choice to forfeit, not a chance to gain. We always look at the moment of disobedience like, if I do this right now, this will benefit me. That's why in the moment when something is in front of you, maybe you're at work and there's an opportunity and there's some money that you can somehow just embezzle into your account a little bit and you go, nobody's really going to know. It's not going to hurt the company. They've got millions of dollars. It's not going to affect anybody. And you look at it because you go, there's an immediate gain. There's an immediate gratification. And we make those choices not realizing that what we're doing is we're really forfeiting. We're not gaining. Because the consequences of disobedience will trail with us through our history. And they'll follow us. All of us know that, not just intuitively. We know that from experience. So when you look at Adam and Eve, here's what I really want to raise to our awareness today. Look at the significant consequences that were the result of their disobedience. The Bible tells us that Adam lived for about 930 years. Now, hard for us, but again, because of sin and the curse that was upon humanity, we've seen a decline, not an increase, in our lifespan, apart from our temporal bumps that medicine and good health can give us. But we've seen a decline over the years, and so we, we find God's creation is now infected with sin, and lifespans will continuously get shorter and shorter and shorter. And so you trace through Scripture, you'll find that. But back at Adam's time, they were living much longer. So Adam lived to a 930 years. Uh, anybody want to do that? And I'm struggling where I'm at now. I don't know about 930. I'm like, whoa, no thank you very much. But here's this guy living 930 years. That means when you look at the genealogies of Scripture, there were nine concurrent records of ancestry or living ancestors with him at the time. So each successive generation was alive. So imagine for Adam and Eve what it must have been like to have gone through a Genesis 3 experience this fatal flaw of disobedience. God banishes them from the garden. He says, now, for women, you're going to be cursed. You're going to feel the pain of child labor. And Adam, you're going to feel the toil, the sweat, to raise your own food, to eat. They felt the immediate impact. But I want you to think of it this way. Every time Adam would pick up one of his grandkids and just bounce a grandchild, a great-grandchild, a great-great-great-grandchild, and hold that innocent life in his hands and realize my choice to disobey has affected this life right here. My choice to step outside the parameters of what God had provisioned for me for my best now has these incredible uh, significant consequences to my life. How many times would Adam and Eve have looked at their families and felt the shame? How many times would they hear the crunch of the biting into some fruit, and remember and immediately replay in their minds, we did what we shouldn't do, and our entire families and all future generations are going to pay for this. Listen, we know that we have free will. All of us do. God gave it to us. So we have the right to choose. But if we choose to disobey, then we also have to embrace the consequences of our decision. If you think about this for Adam and Eve, what broke? It was huge loss. They broke relationship with God. What was perfect, what was very, very good, no longer so good. They broke relationship with self. The Bible says we read about this. The Bible says now they recognize that they were naked. What is that? It's a loss of innocence. Because up till that time, there was never a sense of shame, a never sense of an intimidation. There was always just this representation of God's perfect intimacy expressed in openness. And now they recognize their limitations. There was this loss of self and loss of innocence. There was broken relationship with each other. 
I like how the Scripture is so honest, isn't it? God says to Adam, he goes, Adam, did you eat from the fruit? What did he say? You all know the story. The woman. You know, God, it's her fault. Like, seriously, the woman did this to me. We're so quick to blame, aren't we? I mean, she was there anyhow. He could throw her under the bus. He, God could create a new one. But uh, he goes, God, the woman, you know, she's not quite perfect like I was. Maybe he could fix this. No, it's not in the Bible. Let's not go there. So then God says to the woman, he goes, Eve, what is this you have done? And he goes, she went, the, the serpent. That's the brokenness of disobedience. Disobedience is always looking for who the next person is we can blame. We never own our free choice. We pass on the results of our free choice. So we hand off all the brokenness, and we want other people to deal with our mess. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. Now many immediately think, well, that's, you know, that's spiritual death, right? Well, yeah, it is. But we also know that now physical death has come into the world. We also know that relational death has come into the world. And when you look at what happens when there's disobedience, there is a caustic unfolding that eats away at our soul. That immediately when we make a choice to disobey, something happens inside of us and we feel it. We feel the conviction. We feel the presence of God just reminding us that was a wrong call right there. So whether it's in a marriage relationship, and we know that we're not supposed to step outside the bounds of our vows to each other, but, you know, it's just an innocent little affair. Immediately in that disobedience, there's pleasure in the moment, but we forfeit our future for that one pleasurable moment, and we feel that pain. We see it at work. We see it in our small group relationships. We see it with our friends. Anytime we choose to disobey. So God gives these wonderful parameters. People go, why did God give laws? Like, why is God such a taskmaster? He's not. God loves us so much. He goes, look, let me give you boundaries. Play inside the fence. And if you have these boundaries, you're just going to enjoy your life. Adam and Eve, here's your garden of Eden. It's all yours. Two trees. Stay away from two trees. What happens? You tell kids, stay away. What do they do? I want to go there. That's part of that human nature. And it's worse now because now sin has infected us. So they succumb to the temptation. Now we have the presence, the reality of sin outside of Christ. This reality and presence of sin is us that drives us towards disobedience. And we look at the consequence. Wow, it's amazing. You know, here's the thing about disobedience. The best way I can illustrate it for you, it's like taking a stone. And you've all seen this, a still pond, smooth like glass. You take a rock, you throw it out into the water, and it breaks the surface of the water. You just see the image on the screen here. You get the ripple effect. So when it comes to our own disobedience, here's what I find to be true. The the choice is like the stone. When we throw the stone out, when it breaks the surface of the water, as it sinks down, we tend to forget about the initial decision. But what we don't look at is the ripple effect. Adam and Eve chose to eat from a restricted tree. That was the initial choice. The ripple effect is sin infecting humanity, their own children fighting Cain, killing Abel. It just spread, it spread, it spread. Where did it all come from? That didn't come because Cain and Abel just decided they're going to have a little fight one day. It goes back to the infection of sin in their life. Disastrous consequences. We all face that. Every time we make a choice to disobey, whether we reap the results immediately, we know, and you know, eventually the consequences follow us. So it ripples out into our life. Look at uh, Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron led the Israelites out of Egypt. Remember the story? God says, hey, Moses, bring my people out. Take them to a promised land. 
Those of you new to the Bible, the story of God choosing Israel as His people. They were enslaved in Egypt. He says, I want to move them to the Promised Land, over into where they're currently situated. And He goes, Moses, you're going to be my leader, and Aaron, you're going to follow along. Well, anybody who's led a group of people, it's a challenge, right? If you don't think so, I'll let you be pastor for a little while. But it's always a challenge to lead a group of people. You're so wonderful. It's so easy to lead you guys. First service crowd, wow, the hard, hard group. But no, as a leader, it's always hard when you're leading people. So Moses and Aaron are leading the group across. Moses, of course, he's point person in the whole deal. And the people, they get out of Egypt, they're all, yay, we love you, Moses. They get across the Red Sea. You know, the Egyptians are coming, yeah, we hate you, Moses, take us back. So this love-hate relationship's going on. And then they get out into the wilderness. We're hungry. You brought us out here. We're going to die. So he has to pray to get food. Well, then one time, they're thirsty. And Moses had had it up to here. How many of you are parents in the room? You know when your kids push your buttons? Yeah, okay. You have that valve, you've got to release, that pressure valve has to go. Well, Moses had had it, had it up to here with Israel. They had been complaining and whining ever since they got out of Egypt. They weren't even in the promised land yet. One day they're thirsty and they're complaining about being thirsty. And so finally Moses intercedes with God and he goes, they're your people, you take care of them. And they're having this little conversation and God says, Moses, speak to the rock. When you speak to the rock, I'll give water, it'll take care of it. I'll get my people there, don't worry about this. Speak to the rock. But his valve was so full that when he got there, he was so fed up. What did he do? He took his staff. He goes, you want water? I'll give you water. You ever felt like that? I'll give you water. And he takes his staff and he like, wham, nails a rock. I love that picture. I've been there. I've been there. And so there's that moment where you know you cross the line. And Moses nails the rock. And like everybody's, whoa, we've kicked Dad off now. And water comes out of the rock, and they forgot about that little situation. So now as they're making their way across towards the promised land, everything's good, right? Everybody's fun. It's happy. A little more challenge, but they're moving across, and Moses and Aaron are all excited about going to the promised land. And God says, oh, hey, by the way, remember that little moment when I asked you to speak to the rock and trust me, and you chose to disobey? Moses goes, yeah. Have you met the Israelites? God says, remember what you did there? So look at this. It's in the Bible. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. Whoa. They forfeited their future in a single moment of the expression of his free will out of frustration and the inability to stay within the confines of what God said to do. Friends, listen to me. It's always better to obey God than to find temporary satisfaction through the expression of free will and free choice. And that's the lesson that we learn in here. And Adam and Eve, same thing. When we choose to disobey, the consequences are significant. And we do all the time, don't we? We choose to disobey. And we hope that we won't get caught. And even when we're disobeying... We're worried about the consequences of it. How do I know that? Because I drive on the 400 series highways like you. How many of you drive to the posted speed limit? We're in church. Thank you. You're the guy I pass, just to be clear. Some of us, some of you, I've got to be real honest, I'm in church. Some of you drive the posted speed limit. But in Ontario, when our friends come to visit, they go, what do those numbers mean on the side of the road? Well, it's got nothing to do with speed around here. You just drive. It's the way it is. So, you know, I'm I'm like confession's good for the soul. So when I drive, I tend to drive a little bit above the digits. I go, what's the safety factor? I've told you that before, right? Anybody with me? Good. I know, because you guys passed me, so I know you understand this. 
So I drive within that calculated risk zone. Here's what I notice. When I hit kind of like the 120 number on the, you know, on the dashboard, you know what I do? I spend more time looking in the mirror than I... Yeah, you guys are there, right? Why do we do that? Because we choose to disobey, but we don't want the consequence of the disobedience. So we're watching, and nothing freaks me out more than when I see a police car with his lights on, and I go, oh, he got me. And then when they go by, I go, good, he was going faster than me anyhow. You should pull him over. So we weigh the consequence of our sin. We go, they're a worse sinner than we are. Listen, here's what we know. Disobedience carries significant consequences. God says there's all kinds of parameters I put out. You read the Bible. He talks about our sexuality. He talks about the intimacy. He talks about our marriages. He talks about our friendships. He says live within the construct. The Ten Commandments were not ten rigid rules. The Ten Commandments were guidelines to say these are the things that when you obey, you will live in complete safety. You won't have to pay the price of the ripple effect. He said, but if you choose to disobey... There's going to be disastrous consequences. We'll go to your notes. Adam and Eve found the disastrous part. Here's the second thing we discovered. Disobedience is not beyond the reach of God's grace. It's not beyond the reach of God's grace. Adam and Eve knew that they blew it. The truth is, is we always do. We know when we blow it. They knew that they lost their innocence. How do we know this? Because they tried to cover it up. Quite a powerful story, actually. When they realized they were naked, what did they do? Remember this? Yeah, they sewed fig leaves together. What's up with that? I've asked myself a question many, many, many times. What would cause them to sew fig leaves together when they found out they were naked? So I, I did a lot of study on that. I have no idea, so I can't give it to you. But it says they sewed fig leaves together to cover up the shame, the lost innocence that they had. So they did a pretty good job. Now you've got to get into Scripture. You've got to remember, we're reading this from thousands of years later. You've got to get in the moment. So Adam and Eve, they know that they've blown it, right? They know they shouldn't have touched the fruit of the tree. They were told not to touch that. They recognized because something dark entered their spirit that day. They felt death taste their own spiritual vitality. They felt that. So they look at each other, and they go, we got to cover this up because God's going to show up. So they hey, let's sew fig leaves together. You get a two-piece, I get a one-piece. That's kind of cool. And then they stand and look at each other, and it's like they have a conversation. They go, you think God will notice? No, it's pretty good. Camouflage always works. He'll never pick up that we're naked, that we're not naked any longer. And then God comes along and he goes, who told you you were naked? Uh, And we get caught right there. The second thing, not only did they try to cover up because of their broken innocence, their lost relationship with God. What did they do? They hid. When we disobey, we hide. We go into hiding. Is that not true? When we disobey, we go into hiding. So Adam and Eve recognize, they go, hey, maybe when we hear God, we'll hide in the trees and he'll forget that we're not here. How would God forget? They're the only two he ever created. It's like the crown jewels of his creation. They're going, Adam, Eve, shh, don't say a word. He won't know we're not here, right? We're all good. It's like you guys checking caller ID when people call over. Don't pick up. They won't know we're not home. They just didn't have caller ID, so they're telling each other, don't answer. And finally, they call out. Here's what I want to get. Disobedience is not beyond the reach of God's grace. The enemy will convince you that when you disobey, you have so severed your relationship with God. You have so offended God. He wants nothing to do with you. But can I take you back into Scripture and show you what God does? 
Look at Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Put it on the screen. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and he said, Where are you? Here's a question you should ask yourself. You should write it down and follow this. How does God respond to your disobedience and to my disobedience? The enemy tells us that God is so angry, so wrathful, and God turned his back and he's run away from us. But when I look at Genesis 3, here's what I see. I see a God who steps back into his creation and he walks towards us. When you disobey, God doesn't run away from you. He walks towards you. He wants to restore what the enemy is trying to steal. And he calls out. I love this. I was spending a little bit of time looking through the the focus of this. He doesn't focus on your failure. The first thing, he doesn't bring up all the mistakes that are made. His focus is on storing relationship. He doesn't say to them, what have you done? He said, where are you? Where are, he's going to get to it later. There's always consequences for disobedience. We know that. But you see, that's the deal. The enemy convinces us that God wants to met the consequences on us first and judge us before restoring us. That's not how God works. God shows this beautiful picture here. He steps back to his creation, and he goes, hey, where are you? And when they call out, yeah, there's consequences, very, very serious consequences. But friend, if you're in the room this morning, you need to hear this. If you disobey or you're in a continual state of disobedience, the one thing the enemy will do to convince you to stay far from God, he will convince you that God wants nothing to do with you. And what I want to show you in Scripture this morning, that's why I wanted to read the whole chapter today, is that God steps towards your disobedience. Can he live with it? No, 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 no. He's going to take care of it. But he walks towards you. And some of you, you're still hiding. You're still hiding. And it's like, I know I've done wrong. I know I've disobeyed. I know my sin is so great in my life. And you're hiding and you feel and you hear God call out. And you're afraid to call back because you're worried about the consequence of responding to the voice of God. And I tell you this morning that disobedience is never beyond the reach of his grace. God's grace is there for you. And some of you just have to say yes to him today. What does that mean? Well, that means when you recognize the rest of the story, we read it, they tried to put fig leaves together. That's when we attempt to do our own cover-up. God said, no, no, blood's going to be shed. There's price to be paid. Blood will be shed, and I'll clothe you with animal skins. And that was just forecasting for us that Jesus would die and shed his blood as the ultimate payment for our sin. God says, Adam and Eve, I'll take care of you, and I'll take care of my humanity. So if you've been hiding from God today, Stop hiding. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy that has you threatened and intimidated, but listen to the voice of his spirit. God's calling you to say yes. So just come out of hiding and enjoy the restoration that comes. Does that make sense? So this morning, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Saying yes to Jesus is just the recognition. We sang about it this morning. Recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he paid the price for our sin, We can't do it on our own. He did it for us. And we accept him and his sacrifice that he died for us. God raised him back to life by his power. And through that, we have the forgiveness of sin. So when I say, just say yes to Jesus, you're giving your life to Jesus. And there are those of you listening to my voice today, you need to do that right now. Now, 
there's many ways to do it. We saw Franklin Graham, people would come down last weekend. If you're at Air Canada Center, people would come down to the front. You watch on TV, they'll have people raise their hands. We sometimes do that. The important part is not the means of indicating the choice. The important part, it says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. You can do that while I'm speaking right now. You don't have to walk down. You can just make a choice personally and just say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and I receive you. Make that decision today. Most important decision you'll ever make. Isaiah 64, verse 6. It says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's simply the prophet telling us that we will attempt to come up with our own ways to cover up our own mistakes that we'll try to mask our disobedience and our rebellion with our own good efforts. We'll try to prove to people how good we are. We'll be philanthropic. We'll give money away. We'll serve. We'll do whatever's necessary. We'll attend church. We'll do all the external expressions that look good and righteous, but we don't care for the heart and the spirit. And he says, you can't do this on your own. That's what Adam and Eve tried to do. They tried to do the fig leaf thing. It doesn't work. He goes, only Jesus And that's why I encourage you, say yes to Jesus. Well, the power of disobedience is that it's never beyond the reach of God's grace. It's broken through the gift of Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that not a great verse? I tell you, all of you who are following Jesus this morning, that's the power of his cross. All right, go back to your notes. Here's the third thing we we find in Genesis chapter 3 about disobedience. Disobedience does not preclude you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Now, it's easy to be critical of Adam and Eve. We look back at them and go, it's their fault. We throw them under the bus. So when we are disobedient, we go, it's always their fault. But here's a beautiful part of the story. Even though they blew it, and even when God restored them, God didn't bench them. He didn't sideline them. He didn't say, hey, good try. You're out of the game. I'm going to raise up some new people to serve me. So even with all their imperfection now and all their flaws, the fatal consequence of their choice, when God restores them, he uses them for the fulfillment of their purpose. Read the rest of the story. What did God say? I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. They did. They did exactly that. They raised a godly family. Now, they couldn't control the choices of the family, but they raised a godly family. The Bible tells us that Cain and Abel both know how to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. So they learned that from their parents. There was an expression of faith and trust that was being passed on generation to generation. Cain didn't get it right, kind of messed it all up and kills Abel. But Adam and Eve were still being used by God for the purpose that he created them to be. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, they had another son. His name was Seth. And Seth had a son, and he named his son Enosh. And look what it says here. And at that time, people began to what? Call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? How would that happen if God had benched Adam and Eve, if he sidelined them? Why do I raise that? Because so often what happens is when we've been disobedient, we all have, and we have failed miserably, and I think we all have, we then, even when somebody like Doug is up here saying that God's grace can reach beyond your, your uh, disobedience and restore you, there's still a whisper of the enemy that goes, well, okay, maybe if you want to go that far, but then just sit in the stands. God can't use you because you're imperfect and you're flawed. Yeah, he forgave you. That's good. But don't get back in the game. Friends, that's another lie of the enemy. 
Disobedience does not preclude you from being used for God's purposes. He will fulfill his purpose through your life if you let him. And the beautiful part of Scripture is there's so many imperfect people. I want you to see a video that talks about flaws of biblical proportion. It's just kind of a fun look at some of the biblical characters. So watch the screens and find yourself in the picture. All right, next up, um, King David. Thanks for coming, King David. What qualifies you to be our next small group leader? What was that word you used uh, before my name? Uh, King? Yeah, King, right. How many of those am I up against? My strengths. Uh, Plagues. I'm pretty good with the staff. Can't decide who gets the last brownie? Cut it in two. Boom. Wisdom. Um, Parting large bodies of water. (laughs) Desert survival skills. Weaknesses. (laughs) Weaknesses. Mountain climbing. Um, Commandment retrieval. Does that look weak to you? And I can make a pretty mean goat sausage. Okay, I mean, maybe haircuts. Women. Whose isn't? (laughs) So I lied. I said my wife was my sister. They were going to kill me. Why are we even getting into this? I'm just not sure we're comfortable with you in a leadership position. Look, it, it, Jesus Christ himself called you Satan. He was trying to make a point. Get thee behind me, Satan, I believe is the exact quote. Bathsheba. I knew you were going to go there. It was a rock to the back of the head. I really regret that it happened. And that's when you slept with the maid? My wife said she was fine with it. Abraham. What? Come on. Okay, timeline. Um, first, I slept with his wife. No, 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 no. I didn't kill Christians. Then I lied to him. I was just watching people's coats. Then I had him killed, okay? They killed Christians. It's a long time ago. Besides, that was a different guy. That was Saul. Have <laughs> ever killed anyone? Why? You got somebody giving you beef? Huh? You need something taken care of? Where's the app? Yo, bring it, huh? Didn't you deny Christ three times? No. I'm pretty sure you did. No. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Uh, no. Okay, I did. No, I've never killed anyone. Why would you even ask that question? This is the guy. Hold on, I, I mean, I do have some questions about my qualifications. I've never been to seminary. Oh, you'll do fine. I really don't have a whole lot of experience. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you want to help people? Sure. Do you have a harem? No, I don't have a harem. <laughs> All right, we're good then. Thank you. Well, let, me, let me think about this first. Oh, 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 got her. Oh, wait a second. Look who has them. Still got the tablets. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's good to be reminded just in a couple of minutes that all through the biblical record, people were imperfect, but never beyond the reach of God's grace. And once restored, disobedience did not preclude them from fulfilling God's purpose for their lives. That's why he uses us. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. God had already anticipated that our failures would not keep us from fulfilling his purpose for our lives. We have this opportunity, and I want to challenge you. Don't let the enemy keep you on the sideline. 
And some of you, you look at your past sin or you look at your mistakes and you go, how can God use me? God uses us in spite of our failures. And he leverages that for his strength and his purpose. So don't disqualify yourself where God has already qualified you to step in. And I know there are a lot of you that are listening today, and this would be close to home. You go, well, I don't think I can do anything really meaningful for God. Well, as a church community, part of what we're committed to is helping you find ways to give expression to the life that Christ has in you. If you look in your bulletin, just uh, there's a little insert. It's called Serve. We constantly look for ways to give you opportunity to get involved, to use your gifts to serve God's purpose for your life. So today, just take some time and fill that out. Drop that in the information center or pray about that. Bring it back and just drop it off. Our commitment to you is to make sure that your past disobedience will never keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. So let's do it together. Amen? All right, let's pray. So God, this morning, what a gift we have in your Bible. When we look back at Adam and Eve, recognize the severity of their choice, but then we also see the grandeur of your grace and how you reach out to us. So this morning, I pray for all of us in the room, some that are still searching and looking at faith, others who maybe even today realize they need to just say yes to Jesus and start following him and walk away from the disobedience and start to trust the truth of your word in your direction for their life. And then there are many of us that the enemy keeps us on the sideline and all we do is live with regrets looking back at where we went wrong. But you challenge us to put our eyes onto the future and onto the immediate right now and to say, I can use you today. So help us as together we partner and we help others find their way back to you. God, may you be glorified through our individual lives and through our church community. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you this morning.